You are listening to The Tish with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Michael Knopf, please visit MikeKnopf.com. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome, everybody. Chodesh Tov. Chodesh Tov. Happy new month of Adar. There's a, a double dose of Adar this year, um, the Jewish month of Adar. Um, and uh, the statement from Talmud is, Misha Nichnas Adar Marbim Besimcha, that when Adar comes in, we increase our joy. Um, and uh, in a year like this year, a leap year where there's two Adars, that means a double opportunity to increase our joy, to sort of begin in this first month and increase it to uh, one point and then to double up on it uh, next month. So hopefully we'll uh, um, have an opportunity to at least begin that through uh, the joy of a little bit of learning today. Okay, so uh, we are uh, in the middle of an essay by... um, the Slonim Rebbe, Rabbi uh, Shalom Noach Berezovsky of Slonim. Um, one second before I continue with that thought. Hey, Natasha, is Jane on her way down? Any no. chance? Jane's not here, so she's good. Ah, Debbie, when you go that direction, would you mind asking Josephine to please just turn her music down a little bit? Thank you. Um, so we're in the uh, middle of an essay by uh, Rabbi Shalom Noach Berezovsky of Slonim. Uh, otherwise known as the Slonim Rebbe. Slonim is a uh, uh, Hasidic community. Um, and uh, the, uh, uh, what's, what's, what's great about um, the Slonim Rebbe uh, is that, first of all, he, he uh, unlike many other, as we've talked about, many other uh, Hasidic masters, both uh, uh, older and more contemporary, um, he writes in a much more accessible uh, Hebrew. So uh, even though I don't have a translation here, those of you who do know Hebrew uh, might find it a little bit more uh, um, uh, easy to kind of follow. Uh, and for those of you who aren't so familiar with Hebrew, um, just uh, uh, kind of follow along with me and, and we'll, we'll go through. Uh, and his whole uh, objective in this essay is uh, to talk about... Um, what he calls avodah shebalev zotfila, that uh, prayer is the service of the worship of the heart. Um, and uh, much of what he talks about in, in this prayer, much of what we've talked about as a group, is this issue of kavana, of intentionality in, in prayer, and what is the proper intention, uh, uh, mental disposi- disposition, spiritual disposition, that one should bring uh, to the space of prayer. Uh, and what's and what is ultimately the objective of prayer, which I guess is also one other way to think about kavana. Um, kavana is from the Hebrew word kivun, uh, which means like a direction, right? So you know, it's like the old saying goes, like if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there, right? But uh, what the Slonim Rabbi is offering is there's actually a place that we want to go in prayer, um, and so kavana, the direction that we set for ourselves, is the way we get to that place. Um, and so he's going to reiterate in the part we're going to look at today what he sees that place of being. But um, uh, uh, the, the, it's, it's, uh, it's really one issue that can be broken down into two. Okay, So the, the, the primary issue, the primary direction of prayer is what, uh, what, what he calls dvekut, which means connecting to or clinging to God. 
right? And dveikut, that uh, connecting to or clinging to God as the intent, as the direction of prayer, that's the goal of prayer, and so that's where our thoughts should be set when we enter into the space, space of prayer. So the, so the issue uh, is, I mean, this is why I said it's one issue that are really a couple of issues, because there's a question of, like, what, what does that mean, first of all, how to cling to God? And then also, how does a person actually accomplish that? And in the, um, and so, in the previous paragraph that we looked at last week, uh, um, he, pro- the Sonam Rabbi proposes a couple of things. The first, what does that look like? What it looks like to cling to God um, is, uh, it, he says, is, is almost like prophecy, right? You know you're at that stage. You know that you're in a, a place of, of clinging to God, of being close to God, when you, when you receive uh, clear godly wisdom, godly guidance. Right, and so that's another way to think about prayer. That one of the it's it's so interesting because usually we think about prayer as talking to God, but what the Sloan Rebbe offers is actually the point of prayer is to enable God to speak to us, right? To to hear God's voice in our life. That's what it means to be to cling to God, and the way to accomplish that is to leave behind things of this world. So to enter into the space of prayer um, and to really. Uh, uh, have proper intention in prayer is 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 almost like mindfulness meditation, right? Um, is to be um, uh, 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 so aware of everything around you that you enable yourself to separate from everything that's around you, right? For, to 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 be totally present, right? Um, and and so often we're not totally present, right? We have we've all you know whether we're in the space of prayer or whether we're in work or whether we're in our relationships, playing with our kids, whatever it is, right? So often we're not totally present. We're, you know, um, on the email that we want to send or the phone call that we need to make later uh, or the pain that we have that's, uh, that's bothering us or the noise outside that's distracting us or whatever it is, right? So there's all these different things that might take us out of that space. And the Solomon says the only way to, uh, to, to fully accomplish what prayer offers us the opportunity to accomplish is to is to leave behind, as it were, materiality, right? So that's sort of where we are now. We're going to start in the um, on the page you have, which has the, on the top right hand side the Hebrew letters kuf pei bet, um, and we're in the first full paragraph on the right hand side of the page. Um, so that's the I mean it's the second paragraph, but it's the first indentation, right? So here's what he says. And if, you don't, if you're not so familiar with Hebrew, just try to follow along with me. Um, and you can keep your finger on the place if you, if you want, but, uh, but otherwise you, you don't necessarily uh, need to. Umatsinu okay. Bekuzari. So we uh, find in the Kuzari. Anybody know what the Kuzari is? Anybody ever heard of that book? Oh, is it responsa? Hmm? No, it's not responsa. It's not responsa? It's a really extraordinary book. It's a... It's a work of uh, medieval Jewish philosophy by uh, a, a thinker named Yehuda Halevi, um, uh, and uh, um, who was a a, a, um, a, a Sephardic uh, um, sage in, in the medieval period, uh, and he. Uh, picks up on this notion, which is sort of people, scholars debate whether it's whether it's mythology or whether it's reality that there was um, a, a people named the named the Kuzarim, um, 
which some people think are maybe like the, the people of the Caucasus. Or people don't really know what, what this is. Um, and uh, and uh, at a certain point, the whole kingdom converted en masse to Judaism. And people, again, don't know if this actually happened or is just uh, mythology. Although there are theories that Jews became Caucasian because of this mass conversion. Uh, or, or there grew to be so many Caucasian Jews because of this mass conversion at some point in the early Middle Ages. Um, I, I'm sort of agnostic about whether or not this is actually true or not. Anyway, Yehuda Levi does like a mental experiment, right? What would it have been that would have convinced the king of the Kuzarim to, uh, to convert his entire kingdom to Judaism? So he, uh, he envisions the, this king, uh, um, you know, sort of awakening from a, a dream, saying that, that you, you need to turn to God and away from idolatry. So he, uh, so he summons the, the, um, uh, the leaders of the major wisdom traditions of his time. He summons a Muslim uh, thinker, a, uh, a Muslim scholar, a Christian scholar, a Jewish scholar, and a, and a Greek philosopher. Greek philosophy, Aristotelian Platonic philosophy was very popular in, uh, in uh, medieval Muslim countries at the time. Uh, and he has them make arguments for why, uh, for why their religion or their path of life, their path of wisdom is the true one. Uh, and the Jewish scholar is, of course, the last one to uh, present uh, and uh, makes the most convincing case and uh, convinces, the, and, and convinces the, the king, and the king uh, converts his whole people. Um, and so the, the, uh, the whole book is kind of written as like this, almost like this play or, or, like, a, or like a platonic or Socratic dialogue, if you've ever read um, uh, any of Plato's works that, that sort of envision sort of like a back and forth between teacher and master. It's written kind of that style where, uh, where, the, where each thinker is making their arguments but using sort of a Socratic method to talk to the king about it. So, so it could be done as like a play if you wanted to. Very interesting book. Um, so, uh, so and, and the Kuzari is, a, is um, today probably one of the most um, influential sources of um, of Jewish philosophy and theology, especially within the Orthodox world, um, because it uh, even though it very much uh, draws on the influence of Platonic philosophy, um, the book uh, it, uh, in a lot of ways argues against in some ways very successfully, or at least couches itself as successfully, um, against Aristotelian philosophy. So even more than, say, Maimonides, who we've talked about previously, Maimonides has this very influential book of philosophy um, called The Guide of the Perplexed. Um, but today in the Orthodox world, most uh, uh, it's not commonly studied. But the Kuzari is commonly studied. It's really one of the few works of, uh, of, of medieval Jewish philosophy that's considered still to be kosher in the Orthodox world today, and, and similarly in the Hasidic world, which is a branch of the Orthodox world. So he's drawing from that book of philosophy in this. Okay, so Matsino Bakuzari, we found in the, this book the Kuzari, Be'inyan Tfila Okay, so when the Kuzari talks about Tfila, this is, uh, this is uh, uh, his language. Mi'ut zikaron olam haba b'tfila. Okay, so um, uh, the, uh, the, there's, a, there's an essence of, uh, of 
of, of acknowledging or experiencing the world to come in, uh, in prayer uh, or recalling the world to come in prayer. The world to come is uh, rabbinic speak for heaven. Um, so the, uh, uh, there's, a, there's an essence of recalling or, or experiencing heaven uh, in prayer. And it happens um, through the, the person praying, um, clinging. That's that word again that I mentioned before, dvekut. Uh, in this here, it's in the for, the the infinitive, right? Lehidavek, right? To 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 cling himself or to bind himself, but orha elohi bechayav with the light of God in his life. Ad shehu mitalel rotobeinav until uh, he's able, until the person praying is able, as it were, to see the light, God's light with his own eyes or her own eyes. Vit palel al madrigata nevua. Right and uh, and and the person who's praying uh, gets the level of prophecy. Right as I as I in, mentioned before, the whole you know you have gotten to the place of devekut of clinging and connecting to God when you're experiencing prophecy. Right when you're when you're hearing divine wisdom uh, come through clearly. And there's there's no way a human being can become closer to God than that. Right? That's the closest we get to God, except for maybe dying. Right? Um, the, the closest way we get to God is through, uh, through, through prayer, and in particular prayer where we enable ourselves to cling to God in such a way that we reach the level of prophecy. Right? Where, we, where we're able to sort of uh, uh, um, close out all the other noise and be directly in, uh, in, uh, present in the presence if that makes any sense, right? Present in the presence of God, um, hearing from the divine directly. Kavar palel bli safek al mashuhu gadol me olam haba. So he... Uh, um, uh, so, he, so in other words, a person already prays without any doubt um, uh, for, for what's greater than the world to come, what's greater than heaven. Right? And if he reaches that place, then he's, then he's already reached the world to come, right? He's already reached heaven. In other words, um, when, you, when you pray, you strive to, uh, to, to reach a place of direct communion, direct relationship with God. That's the rabbinic conception of what olam haba is. The rabbinic conception of heaven is, um, is, is, is uh, as we say at a funeral, um, uh, uh, perfect peace in God's eternal embrace, right? It's, it's uh, direct, unmediated connection with God is, uh, is, is death, right? So in, in, a, in a way, when we pray, we're sort of yearning for that place, longing for that place where we have direct and unmediated connection. And in life, the Kuzari is saying, there's no closer place that we can get than through prayer. And if, uh, <clears throat> because someone who uh, is able to cling his soul, to connect his soul uh, in this godly way, when, when, a, per- uh, when a person is um, uh, still connected and bound uh, in, uh, in uh, aspects, in like the bot- in bodily functions and bodily reality and all of its uh, limitations and all of its pains, all the more so a person can cling to God in 
the heavenly one. Right? In other words, if you're able to reach that place through prayer in this world, despite our physical limitations, right? despite the real barriers that exist between our physical lives and the spiritual realm, um, and, and this is sort of like an aside, but you know, this is very um, uh, uh, emblematic of the uh, Platonic-influenced philosophy of the Kuzari, that there's this real division between body and soul, um, and so there's no way truly to, uh, to, to approximate godliness except for uh, leaving behind, as it were, our uh, physical bodies, our physical limitations. Um, but there are ways of transcending it even temporarily, right? So the, the best expression, I think, um, in, our, in our time of platonic philosophy is the movie The Matrix, right? Have you seen The, the Matrix? I don't want to spoil it for anybody. But, the, uh, but if you haven't seen The Matrix, you see The Matrix, and the whole premise of The Matrix is that the physical world is an illusion, right? The real world is, um, uh, uh, well, the real world exists outside of the, uh, of the physical world, but the physical world um, is like a, just a series, is just a computer program, basically, right? And if you can, under, if you can see the world for the computer program that it really is, then you can, then you can manipulate all physical reality, right? That's... That's a pretty pure distillation of Platonic philosophy. Platonic philosophy says that uh, that the physical world is an illusion, right, or is an is is a is a a, a uh, um, an imperfect copy of a pure ideal, right? So the way our whole lives are striving to get to this pure ideal, right, to to break free of the physical limitations, right? So that's sort of what the Kuzari is saying here. It's like the closest we can get to uh, the world to come in this life is through. Um, an approach to prayer where we um, are able to transcend those physical limitations and actually be in the presence of God. And if we're able to do that in this life, all the more so our souls will be prepared to be close to God in the next world too. Can you, when you start to read again, can you, you know, Yeah, yeah. Right. So I'm uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine lines down in that uh, uh, first full paragraph. Um, in the middle of that ninth line, there is um, a, a Hebrew uh, short, uh, not shorish, um, uh, acronym, Ayin Kaf, uh, whatever, apostrophe, Lamed, um, which means, uh, which is an acronym for Ad Khan Lashono, which is basically like end quote, right? So he's quoting the Kuzari. That's the end of the quote from the Kuzari. Two lines up, the next to the last word. Ki, ki mi, what's the next word? Ki As devekut, exactly. Uh, it's well, the word davka then? Davka is with different spelling. Davka is with oh, okay. dalad vav vav kaf uh, kuf aleph, oh, okay. and this is dalad bet kuf. So this this is the same root dalad bet kuf in Hebrew, modern Hebrew. Anybody know what Devek is in modern Hebrew? Devek? Glue. Right? So, right? So, like, connecting. And you've, you might have heard the Yiddish word Dibek. Right? The Dibek is a, is a soul that clings to you. Right? It's somebody else's soul. Right? It's, it's like, it, um, what do you call it in, in not Jewish? It's like p- being possessed, right? By a spirit, right? What? By a demon, right? So a dibbik is like a, an extra soul that's like, you know, implanted itself into you, right? So that's a dibbik. It's clung to you. Um, so that's the same root, Dalibet Kuf. 
Um, okay, so that's the end of the quote from the Kuzari. He's going to go on a little bit, and I just want to I want to uh, read this. But but again, feel free to interrupt with uh, with questions or or comments or observations. Vehu alpi hamevoar sheikar inyan tefila hu hadzvekupa shemiparach. Okay, this is as he's saying. This is as we've explained before that the essence of prayer, the essence of the matter of prayer, is clinging to God. Is Connection to God. Umashmaut miyuchedet al pize bilashono shal harambam. Right? And so there's a special significance or a special, understand, special way of understanding that we can have uh, for, for what the Kuzari is saying through the language of Maimonides. The Perak Aleph mipirke hatzlacha. Um, so there's in the first chapter of, of, a, of a work that he did called Pirke hatzlacha, vizela shono. And this is what he says. This is the um, in 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 a, in in a in a approach to Hebrew that doesn't really use punctuation. Um, there are all sorts of like linguistic cues for punctuation. Um, so zelishono zayin lamed in this case. Um, uh, although that zayin lamed could also be zichono livracha, which is why you need to be a little bit of a sensitive reader. But zayin lamed zelishono is like beginning quote, and adkan lishono is ed quote. Okay, um, so beginning quote. Hamit palel ye pone el Hashemi barach. Okay, so Maimonides is going to say, you know, so if the goal of prayer is to cling to God, Maimonides is going to offer what that looks like in practice, how you get to that place in practice. So the person who's praying should face toward God or be open toward God. Pone can really go either way, depending on your definition of it. Omed al-raglav, you should stand on your feet. Uh, the person praying should stand on his feet. Mitaneg belibo uvesvatav. And you should, mitaneg is like you should cause yourself to, uh, to, to enjoy, but it's more like cause yourself to, to, um, to, to feel what you're saying, to, to, be, um, to be fully in the moment of, what you're um, uh, what you're saying in your heart and with your uh, and with your lips, um, the the term mitaneg uh, is from the same root as the word oneg, right? So you might have heard like oneg Shabbat, or sometimes we have a preneg, which is an oneg before the service, right? Oneg, uh, an oneg Shabbat is literally like the enjoyment of Shabbat, right? So mitaneg is the reflexive of that, right? Causing oneself to enjoy, causing oneself to really feel. Um, with your heart and, and with your lips. Yadav pushot, a person's hands should be outstretched, which is amazing, right? Because, which is also like why, if you see me davening, I, I like to have my book on a, on a um, lectern, um, and I wish we had lecterns or, or like book stands for every seat to be able to do this, but you can balance your book on the seat in front of you. Um, or don't use a book at all. I mean, I actually would advocate that. Um, I don't think you need a book to pray. And if that means that you need to pray with just the words in your heart rather than the words that everybody else is singing, um, I think that that is perfectly acceptable and maybe even desirable, right? And, uh, and if you're able to um, more, uh, more readily able to get into the mental and spiritual space of prayer by putting the book, closing your eyes, putting the book away, and opening your hands and just... Uh, being present in the moment, meditating, offering the words in your heart, um, 
uh, chanting along with the melody, even if you don't know the words, whatever it is, I think that that is a more desirable form of prayer than trying to read along with all of the words in the prayer book. Um, because I actually think that for a lot of us, um, even though that, that might be good practice to get to a place where you can um, recite those words kind of from memory and in so doing have a kind of meditative practice using those words as a mantra that takes you out of the physical space. But otherwise, if you're just trying to read words out of a book, I can't think of a way uh, that, that, uh, uh, that, that more inhibits one's ability to transcend the physical space and the physical limitations of where we are. Right, because you're literally holding a book and like trying, you know, it's it's a totally cognitive exercise of trying to like read the words out of the book. So um, and so, and that's why I love what what my what my monody says here is that uh, that the proper posture in prayer is is to stand up, open your hands, and you can open your hands like this, open your hands like this. We don't do enough of this in Jewish prayer, but I think that this is also a possibility. It's two kind of different postures, but they're both I think uh, versions of what he's saying. By the way, if you've never prayed like this before, I encourage you to try. And for those of you listening in cyberspace, what I'm doing here is I'm lifting up my arms over my head in a posture that you might sometimes see in like evangelical churches, right? although they sometimes just do one hand. I'm not sure why just one hand. It's a thing that I could ask, I guess, some of my evangelical friends. But um, uh, um, uh, but there's... But there's um, Something, our posture matters when we pray, right? Our physical self matters when, when we pray, even though we're trying to get our physical place to a point where it doesn't matter, there are physical postures that either inhibit that or uh, enable that, right? I mean, people who have meditation practice or yoga practice know this as well or better than anybody else, right? There are postures that enable you to be sort of open to, uh, to receiving what you're going to receive and postures that close you up. Right, um, so prayer is no different, um, and and I mean it's just amazing, right? Uh, that that in some ways, our what we've done for like a thousand years of Jews, uh, maybe less than a thousand, five hundred years of Jews is is actually reinforce a prayer posture that is in some ways exactly the opposite of what we're supposed to be doing, right? Because instead of sort of standing like this, we're sitting like this. Right? And, um, and it makes a huge difference in, in, in the prayer experience. Um, so, Yadav Prushot, hands outstretched. Vechli diburo hogimu medabrim. And so, the, your vessels of speech are, uh, are, are properly operating and speaking. Vieter chelkav charedim venir adim. And the rest of your body parts are shaking and trembling. So amazing, because um, like like, I mean I, I've only been to a few Jewish prayer spaces where like this is actually happening. Uh, it's powerful stuff. It's certainly you know it it doesn't happen in the typical synagogue you walk into, but try it next time, right? Try uh, putting the book down, standing up, opening your arms, um, moving your mouth, saying whatever you're saying, whether it's the words of the prayer or uh, or or the melody. Or, um, or your own private prayers or meditations, but not just like thinking them, actually moving your lips, because there's a, a sense in Jewish prayer that you're not really praying if you're not um, giving some expression 
to what you're saying, right? And that, um, uh, that, that, that I think partially is psychological, partially anthropological, and partially scriptural. So there's a, a, a beautiful account of, um, uh, of a woman named Hannah, uh, Hannah in, um, uh, in the book of Samuel, who's praying with like, fervent passion because she's unable to have a child but desperately wants a child and um and she's what's that right so she gets in trouble for it right so this is the this is right yeah right right exactly right so 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 we have this we have this decorous impulse it's biblical too right that says like 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 let's not get too crazy with the spiritual thing um, so we've always had that, but we also, you know, Hannah's uh, 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 prayer is held out as um, as as an ideal, right? I mean, the 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 priest who stops her from doing it and says, like, you must be drunk, get out of here, um, is doing the wrong thing narratively in the story. Um, so our tendency to inhibit people's ability to do this, um, whether that's interpersonally. You know, which we sometimes do. We sort of like you know, give people like glances if they you know get too spiritual or emotional in prayer. Like, what is that person doing, right? And socially, culturally, we kind of reinforce that too. Um, we reinforce it in terms of our space. We reinforce it in terms of a lot of things. Um, but uh, um, uh, um, but anyway, so so Hannah um, is praying in that scene. Um, uh, she's inaudible, but her lips are moving, right? And that is. Um, uh, um, Maimonides elsewhere says that that's the proper way of praying, not so much inaudible, but audible only to yourself, right? So you, so you pray just loud enough that you can hear what you're saying with your lips actually moving. So you're actually giving expression to what you're saying. And again, whether that's the words of the prayer book or whether that's your own words of prayer. Um, and, uh, um, you know, so that, so that, the sound in the room, you know, the parts of the prayer service where we sing aloud, everybody together. And there are parts of the prayer service that are, you know, for private prayer, which can either be, again, reading the words of the prayer book or uh, reciting them verbatim, if you know them, or, or reciting your own prayer. But often in like modern, you know, contemporary American religion, that's like silent time. And in fact, like, um, I, I, uh, I, I even inherited um, an outline from high holiday services here where like it's, you know, like what's the order of the service? And there's a few places where it's like individual silent time, right? Or IST for short. Right? And, uh, and, and, and uh, like I understand like why it was written that way, but the, but the truth is that it's not supposed to be individual silent time, right? It's supposed to be individual private time, right? Praying at your own pace and at your own level and whatever. Um, but the, the, the noise level in the room shouldn't be silence, right? It should be sort of like a, a, a hum of people praying. So if you go to an Orthodox synagogue, you'll see that, right? If you go to most contemporary conservative and reform synagogues, you won't necessarily. I'm hoping that we'll bring it back here. Sometimes we have it, sometimes we're not. If we're in smaller spaces, you can hear it better than we're in the larger sanctuary. Um, so, right? The, your, your vessels of speech should be uh, um, properly operating and, and speaking. And the rest of your body parts should be shaking and trembling. Right? And so, I don't know exactly how to, to, uh, 
uh, interpret that. I don't know if Rambam here is talking about the tendency that uh, Jews have to like sway when they pray, right? That you should there should be movement when you pray. You shouldn't just be like standing stiff and still, um, or whether he means like you should be like like physically shaking. Right, like as if you're in the presence of a of a you know great and powerful king, right uh, or queen, and um, and and there's there's fear and awe in that moment, um, or combination thereof, right? But 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 certainly, I think what this is saying is the act of prayer is not silent, and it's not still, um, and it certainly is not nose in a book, right? Velo um, yasir. Mehanim kolot aravim, and you shouldn't uh, uh, stop from uh, lifting up um, uh, 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 like m- mixed voices, right? So, in other words, like th- there should be, like I said, there should be noise in the room. There should be noise coming out of your mouth. You shouldn't stop the sounds that are coming out of your mouth, right? It shouldn't be, it shouldn't be silent um, uh, expression, right? You should be saying things. Um, with again, whether it's the words of the prayers by recitation, or whether it's the m- just melody of the music, or whether it's your own prayers, meet davek, and if you want to cling to God, mechinatzmo, then you need to uh, prepare yourself. Meet you should supplicate. In other words, you should. Um, what what does supplicate mean? Yeah. Right. Right, right. You should so supplication in Jewish tradition is sort of a combination of a couple things. It's it's it, it could be asking for things, um, but it also uh um some, what's that? Yeah, it's 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 more like um like expressing like the the unworthiness of the things that you might ask for, right? Um so uh there's a part of the prayer service in the daily uh, morning and eve- daily morning and afternoon prayers called Tachanun, um, which is uh, we don't do it on Shabbat. It's only weekday stuff because uh, Tachanun is because you're not supposed to do it like this on Shabbat. Shabbat is supposed to be joyous and celebratory. Tachanun is um, is like like um, kvetching. Um, my uh, um, my teacher Reb Zalman uh, says that uh, that he doesn't like Tachanun. Um, because uh, because he thinks that, that in it it make like the traditional version of it makes it sound like quote nebishy wimps. Um, so if you if you uh, catch the lingo right, so the uh, um, uh, nebishy is like like neurotic right, and um, so uh, but that's but the same roots right, uh, um, uh, and the, the 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 real root is chen, which means grace. Right, and so grace is a is is a term that our Christian friends um, have uh, adopted um, to great effect, but is really a, a major part of the Jewish tradition too. We just don't talk about it very often, but but grace is um, uh, uh, God's uh, intervention in our lives, despite the fact that we don't deserve it. Right, so that's maybe the humility piece, right? The acknowledgement that like I may not deserve to be in God's presence. I may not deserve to have God's presence in my life, God's uh, word in my life. Um, uh, uh, and and so, so kind of preparing ourselves uh, in that way. So you should prepare yourself, supplicate, right? you should bend your knee and prostrate yourself. Uh, it used to be the case that in Jewish prayer, Jewish prayer looked a lot more like Muslim prayer, um, where there was a lot more like 
uh, bowing and prostrations and like full prostrations. Now, nowadays we, we do kind of like half prostrations. We, you know, we, we bow, we, we bow like kind of like this. We bend our knee and bow like that. Um, and we do that a few different times in the, in the course of the service. Although it's, if you were here for Chazan Marion's class um, in the fall semester on the nuts and bolts of Jewish prayer, she spent a little bit of time talking about this. The places where we do that are all places um, where theologically we're acknowledging God's sovereignty and, and acting as though we're standing in the presence of a king, right? Um, so we do it in the Amida, for example. At the beginning of the Amida, we, we um, say, Baruch Ata Adonai, oh, sorry, Baruch Ata Adonai. Um, so we're standing upright when we say God's name. Um, but, uh, um, and, and again, the Amida is kind of this, when, when, when someone like the Nativo Shalom or Maimonides, someone else, when they talk about prayer, in some ways they're really talking about the Amida, not necessarily every other part of prayer. Um, uh, the Amida is the sort of like centerpiece of every prayer service. Um, and so like that's the moment in which we sort of enter God's throne room um, and, uh, and, and place ourselves in God's presence. So we bow like, uh, like that. In, in ancient times, the, the prostration would have been full in that moment. We would have gotten all the way down and gotten up again. Um, we do that now. And there's another part. The other part of the service where we tend to bow is Aleinu, which is the same thing. Aleinu l'shabeach la'adon hakol. Right? It's upon us to praise the the Master of everything. Vanachnu korim u'mishtachavim u'modim lifnei melech machei hamlachim hakadosh baruch hu. Right? So we um, we bend the knee and bow and prostrate ourselves uh, before the uh, uh, supreme King of Kings, the Holy Blessing One. Right, so um, so it's again another moment in which it's uh, an acknowledgement of, of God's sovereignty. So, right, so all of this is sort of uh, um, uh, uh, what Maimonides is doing, saying that from a physical standpoint, um, there's a mitchanen. By the way, I think what he also means by mitchanen is not only the the um, the uh, 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 technical, like what words we say in supplication, but the act of supplication itself. So if you ever go to a weekday prayer service in the morning or in the uh, afternoon, um, uh, when we do tachanun, um, you do it, if you're in the presence of a Torah scroll, you do it like this. Right? Like head down, um, you know, as if to say, like, humbling yourself, right? Um, so what my mom is saying is that the physical... Uh, your, your physical alignment in, in services is part of the process, right? It's how you um, enable yourself to uh, really feel as though you're standing in God's presence um, and therefore enabling yourself to, to actually connect with him, right? So the physical lends itself to the spiritual. Um, Bochel, Bochel, this is just one word, Bochel right? You should cry uh, because... Uh, because you are in the presence of a great and powerful king, a great and awesome uh, uh, sovereign. Um, right? You don't see a lot of crying during uh, Jewish prayer services anymore, except for in some um, communities that really try to embody these uh, teachings. Right? Um, but it should. I mean, the right prayer, I mean, you're standing in the presence of God every aspect of you is sort of like open for investigation. You're pouring your heart out, right? It should break your heart open. People should cry in service. They should laugh in services too. Um, but people should cry 
in in services. Um, otherwise, it's uh, I mean not, not necessarily saying that if you don't cry every time, it's not real, right? Um, but if you don't cry sometimes, then it's not real, right? Um, I think that's definitely true, and that's not only crying of like there's there's a certain kind of crying. It's not that this is a bad kind, but I don't think it's what it's talking about, right? Crying during like mourners' kaddish because you're remembering the loved one that you've lost, right? That's that's. There's certainly nothing wrong with that, and that's certainly um, a beautiful expression of emotion and prayer. But I don't think that that's the kind of crying he's talking about here. I think he's talking about like crying because of of of, of shame, right? That that part of how prayer works is saying, you know, my life is an open book to you, God. And um, if you were here for John Wagler, uh, my uh, pastor friend who came and spoke to us the other week, right, he said that part of his prayer and what he invited us to do uh, based off of the Psalms, right? This isn't only his scripture, this is our scripture, right? That uh, we are asking God to search our hearts, right? Um, so imagine, right? You're hooked up to that lie detector test, right? Um, you're, you have someone who's able to see every aspect of you, your, your strengths and your flaws, Right, your your uh, the the things that you've done right and the the mistakes that you've made, um, totally vulnerable, right? How would that feel, to really feel that vulnerability? My guess is, if we really felt that, there would be more crying in prayer. V'tagia elav hashkia v'haflatzot ad shimtza yimatzen afsho be'olam hasichlayim. Okay, so, um, and so uh, uh, all of a sudden what comes on a person in, in, in that kind of context is a sinking and a shuddering until uh, he finds his soul uh, uh, stuck in the world of the intellect, right? So if you get to that place, you'll realize that, uh, that, that, um, that you need to liberate your soul from the realm of the intellect, right? You're thinking, about what you're saying, right? You're, um, and we approach prayer very often like it's an intellectual exercise, right? I need to read these words and understand the words that I'm reading, right? Um, and we get caught up in the intellectual exercise of like, well, who is the God to whom I'm praying? And, uh, and, and what is that God going to do for me? And what is that God really? And how do I know it's going to work? And all of that stuff that's totally intellectual. Right? And what, uh, and, and what uh, he's saying is that if you pray in this way, you'll all of a sudden realize that your spiritual longing is held up by your intellectual processing. Right? And I think that's so true for me. Like, I, you know, um, I, I, prayer, uh, I, 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 the, the times in which I struggle the most in prayer, which is often, right, are times in which I'm, I'm, I'm caught up in the thought process of what the prayer, what prayer is, or what I'm supposed to be doing, or how I'm supposed to be. How do I look to other people around me? Um, is this really working? Who am I really talking to? Uh, or I'm thinking about whatever else is happening in my life outside of the prayer space, right? And I actually am not in tune with the long, with the real longings of my soul. So here's what he says: Nichna nafsho hanichbada. So you need to surrender your the, your soul, which is uh, which is which is heavy, which is like sunk down, and, and liberate it from 
from mind from mindliness or from like thinking. Yeah, from thinking. Ad kan l'shano. That's what Maimonides says. Kulot siyor nifla al inyant fila shekulad vekut ilait. And all of this is a description, an amazing description of the aspect of, of the issue of prayer, that all of it is about supernal clinging, supernal connection. So let's, let's pause there and just hear some thoughts, reflections, questions about that description of the goal of prayer and the physical, emotional, um, spiritual process of achieving that goal. I have a question. Yeah. Where does the concept of the congregation and the minion fit into this concept of prayer? Yeah. Um, so I, I think that he's not utterly focused on the congregational aspect of prayer. Um, I think that what, what um, and, and I think he gets that later on in the essay, what's the role of the, of the congregation. Um, so I think that there's a couple of things. The first is um, there's a technical piece, right? So um, certain expressions of, uh, of God's sanctity can only be done in public, right? So this prayer that he's talking about can actually theoretically be done in private, Right, um, but we gather together in public prayer because there are certain things that that we reserve for public spaces. Okay, um, and so this also can fit in the context of public prayer, but it doesn't have to be done in the context of public prayer. The second thing I think uh, he might say is uh, that um, in a public space we draw on each other's energy and build off of each other. Right, so if I'm in a room where, where like a hundred people are praying like this, I'm much more inclined to pray like this myself, right? And I'm much more inclined. Uh, I, I think that that it has more of a capacity to work, right? There's there's power in that um, in 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 that social setting in that social construct um, that that one can get praying by oneself. Um, but I actually think that the communal setting has a power to elevate the potential to do this. Um, it also has the power to diminish it in a strong way, um, but also has the power to elevate it in a very uh, substantial way. And so I, can, I mean, I can tell you that for me, with the exception, I've mentioned this a few times, the exception of like when I go into the mikvah, I pray better there than I do virtually anywhere else for I think a handful of, of reasons. Uh, um, but... Aside from that, like I think of like all the times I prayed privately, even in like very inspiring places, you know, Grand Canyon, whatever it is, the places where I've felt most spiritually alive, most, uh, most, most uh, uh, connected in the way that's describing here, um, where I felt prayer work in this way, were all communal settings where people on the whole, are striving to pray this way, right? And that's not only limited to the Orthodox world or to the Hasidic world, but it's, uh, um, uh, I've experienced it in, in liberal Jewish settings too, and also some non-Jewish settings. Um, so I think that there's a power in the social context that you can't necessarily have anywhere else. David, you have? Uh, and when 
you come to a communal situation, it only matters that a critical mass are aligned in this direction. Uh, the, uh, the rest are just sort of scattered. Right. But a certain critical mass, and this helps to move everyone forward, even those who are scattered because of the combined energy. I told you before, the first time that I went up to the arch, I can cry when I think about it, the first time that I went up to the arch, I was so overwhelmed because, you know, I converted so... To I, the arch, you mean? The arch, sorry. Yeah, yeah. The arch, yeah, yeah. see? And uh, the first time I went up to the arch, I, I, that was the closest I... I was like, I didn't know St. Louis really did that for me. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I love St. Louis. McDonald's. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I had never been that close before. So it was really yeah. overwhelming to be that close for hundreds of good reasons, it just flooded the tradition, all the years, all the people, and um, but just to be that close to the word, it was that connection with God, and and so I held it together long enough to get back to my seat, or I burst into tears. And luckily, I was sitting next to somebody who got it, and she just put her arm around me and said, "It's beautiful, isn't it?" You know, and and so even I think just having um, people around you accept it, that even if they're not praying the same way. Um, but having that understanding, it really made me feel comfortable um, to open my heart during prayer, you know? And I'm sure if I was somewhere else and somebody was looking at me like, I probably wouldn't have done that again. Sure. What I, I never knew in over 70 years of being Jewish was that it is encouraged for Jews in prayer to lift themselves up physically, etc. And you know, when I've been in church and I've seen evangelicals, evangelicals are not only evangelicals like that. Right. It's like I thought, wow, they're really lifting themselves up. They're losing their intellect or whatever and making an emotional connection. Now, you know, I'm hearing that this is part of Jewish prayer too. And I was thinking, would it, would it be possible for you to maybe put some of this into a sermon, let people know that this is okay, this is encouraged, even print something out to hand out with that? Because if we wanted to let go, people would think we were weird. Yeah, you yeah. <laughs> Although if all of you showed up... <laughs> what, what's that? Jewish congregation because I, I went a few it's times to Zion Sake, a Messianic congregation down in Newport News. Newport News so. Yeah, but what did I say when I saw them? You, you, I said, they're not Jewish, they're Christian. Right, right, right. <laughs> right. So and I think that, that listen, that, I mean, it's all, it's laden now with, with uh, um, when, when Maimonides was talking about this, he, um, he wasn't a, he, he wasn't surrounded by evangelicals, right? Um, he, he was surrounded by Muslims who prayed the way that, that Muslims pray. Um, but he 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 was he, he didn't have the issue of you know hey if I if I look like this when I pray then people are going to think we're Christian, right? Yeah, he wasn't. So when was this written? So Natibo Shalom uh, wrote uh, in the in, in the eighties or nineties. Um, uh, 
he was he was a Holocaust survivor and, and uh, lived in Israel. Um, but he's quoting people who wrote in Middle Ages. Uh, the Kuzari, if I'm not mistaken, is the is is 14th century, um, and Maimonides is uh, 12th century. Um, so uh, so he, so they wrote. So he's quoting. Who ha yes, yes, okay. yeah. Holding your hands in prayer, that it was somehow not like that we're supposed to be more on, um, you know, on an equal footing in a con that we're not supposed to be. Um, I don't know if I, I'm gonna use the wrong words because it was a while ago yeah. and I probably heard it wrong, but submissive or something. It made me it made me believe that that was sort of the opposite. The, the opposite of of um, you know the bowing and the. Um, yeah, so the, um, so my understanding of why we don't, uh, um, like actually go on our knees or prostrate ourselves fully anymore, except for on the high holidays, um, I think it comes from one of two places. One is, um, is sort of like what we call, uh, Zecher, uh, so like we, we strive, we, we tend not to do things that we would have done in the ancient temple as a as a reminder that we no longer have the temple, which is one of the arguments, by the way, for not playing musical instruments on Shabbat. Although the uh, uh, the that line of argument actually says we shouldn't play musical instruments at all because they <laughs> played them in the temple, um, uh, so I don't find it would be a particularly convincing thing. Um, uh, or because the perception grew that like this is what will distinguish Jewish prayer from Christian and Muslim prayer, right? We don't want to, um, uh, you know, we we don't want like the inquisitors to think that we've all of a sudden converted to Catholicism because we're praying on our knees, right? So um, so we'll just not pray that way anymore. Um, I'm not sure if there's a deeper theological significance behind the the switch um, to how Jews tend to pray today. Um, yeah, is that helpful to yeah, that question? And I think just that kind of what the rule was is part of what makes me self-conscious. Yeah. Right. So what I, what I would say is that the, the only, the only rule, I mean, there actually really are no rules about it. If you wanted, if you wanted to pray on your knees, I suppose you could, although people would probably look at you funny. Um, there's no, there's no prohibition on it. Um, uh, the only prohibition would be is if you're if you're you know praying that way because secretly you want to be praying um, as a Christian right or something like that. Um, but what I what I what I would say is you know I, listen there are places in prayer where it's uh, more appropriate to stand up um, you know where 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 you really ought to stand up. Um, but I actually have to say like I um, I I I hate giving stage directions in prayer. I mean I do it because I feel like people want it. Um, but, but I hate giving stage directions in prayer because to me, if you're moved to stand up in prayer, you should stand up. If you're not, then you shouldn't. Um, and, uh, you know, and, or you'll see that everybody else is standing up, so you'll stand up too, right? Uh, um, uh, which, which is also, which is also one of the reasons that, that, uh, communal prayer is, uh, uh has its benefits. Um, you know, and I think that, 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 
what Maimonides is talking about here is, um, you know, I mean, he's saying actually that that um, um, you should stand when you, uh, um, you know, when you're, um, you should stand in certain places and you should like uh, supplicate and prostrate in certain places, right? But they, but it seems to me from what Maimonides says is that that should be driven by where you personally are in prayer and not necessarily where the rabbi tells you to be in prayer. Right? Um, and so what I'd say is like, if you, if you feel inclined to bow at a certain point, that's not where I'm telling you to bow, you should bow, right? If you should, if you feel like standing at a certain point, that's not where I'm telling you to stand, then you should stand. If you feel like dancing at a certain point, that's not, you know, um, now is the time on sprockets when we dance. Um, you guys remember that Saturday Night Live skit? Uh, the, uh, the, I just have to, the, we're, we're a little over time, but I got to, the, I'll close with this funny story. So like, um, one, of the, uh, one of the great success stories of um, 20th century American Judaism is a synagogue called B'nai Jeshurun in New York. Um, and um, I love B'nai Jeshurun. I, have a, 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 I had a lot of really great experiences there, but on, uh, it, um, there's so much spirit and so much energy there, um, and they dance. Except for, if you go often enough, you notice that they dance at exactly the same time and place in services each and every week, um, and it's it's like always started by like the same couple of people. So it's it's almost like there's this Saturday Night Live skit with um, with Mike Myers where it's like a German talk show and he's like wearing all black and um, and it's called the talk show is called Sprockets, uh, and so like part of the show is like now is the time on Sprockets when we dance, and then, then everybody like dances and they stop, you know. Um, so uh, a friend of mine pointed that out to me about uh, about B'nai Jeshurun. I thought that was funny. So I mean, but that's kind of what what services are like in some ways, you know. Is like it's very like manicured and very structured, um, uh, curated by the rabbi and the cantor. And what he's saying is that that that. Um, that the rabbi and the cantor kind of like only give give the sort of like pacing of services, but the but the heart and the soul, like what's at, the content of it, is actually um, uh, uh, up to each individual who's there. You know, when you stand, when you sit, what you say, it's really up to each individual who's there. Um, and the other thing that the cantor does is uh, is is acts as a shlichat tzibur, shliach tzibur, which means an agent of the congregation, meaning to say that there are certain prayers and certain words that, according to Jewish law, each of us is supposed to say every day. But if you have somebody saying them on your behalf, you're exempted from that obligation. So the cantor's already doing the heavy lifting for you. Then, if, knowing that, you can focus on whatever your personal or private prayer is because she's already got you covered. Yeah. Well, I, I guess the real hallmark of if you're into it is that if you're so into it that you don't notice when they, you know, you say the first part of the Shema out loud, and then you say the second or and or third, depending on what time it is, silently, or, or there's other parts, and then they pick up again. But if you're not going at the same pace, if you're so in tune, then you'll just keep going on your own. Just keep going, right. Who cares? Who cares whether you're on pace with the with with what the cantor is doing? If you finish services faster because you prayed faster, then go down to kiddush early. If you finish if you finish services later, we'll save you a plate, right? It's a uh, uh, you know like it was like so wedded to like this like formal structure and um, and, and and prayer. If anything, is about um, is about informality. Is about what you need personally, even if you're in the communal setting. All right, let's stop there for for this week.